0: Father God, this is both a glad and a somber day. And I pray that you would um, strike our hearts through both of those notes, with the gladness of the triumphal entry and of salvation, and with the somberness of your son's death. Please move us this morning by your word. Please convict us and transform us. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So Incarnation is two years old today. Yeah, Palm Sunday 2015 was the day we officially launched this church, and some of you were here for that service. So happy birthday, Incarnation. And that's not the only reason that I love this day. Palm Sunday is one of my favorite Sundays of the year. I love wearing red, after all that purple, and uh, starting out our service outside in the parking lot and then walking in, waving our palm branches, and I love reading the whole crucifixion story together and all participating in the reading as we just do. And I love the feeling of standing here on this day and anticipating the week that's coming. The family gatherings around the Passover meal, the foot washing, the night vigils, the holy grief of Good Friday, that strange emptiness of Saturday and then the brimming over joy of Sunday. The songs and the parties, the feasting and the wine and the chocolate and the friends. This week is a holy week. And today on Palm Sunday, we are invited in. As Taylor said at the beginning of the service, we're invited to participate, to walk through the story once again. So each one of us is invited to accept the gift of this story as our story, as our own story. This is our lives, our family history. This is who we are. So Holy Week is the Oculus Rift virtual reality experience of the Christian faith. And it's an experience that I invite you to come and share this week, whoever you are. Whether you've celebrated 50 Easter's or whether this is your first one. Whether you feel full of faith or full of doubt. Whether you're thriving in your life or struggling. Whether you're hopeful or despairing. And whether you feel full of life or overshadowed by death. No one is excluded. Your story is represented here. Your story is being told here. Come and listen. I want to show you that no one is excluded from the lives of three people who found themselves in this story on the actual day. So in your service, efforts, you should still be open to page seven. And all three of the people I'm gonna talk about are on that page. So on page seven, in the part labeled First Reader, starting at verse number 39, there's a criminal who was crucified next to Jesus. And that's the first person. Then, in the part labeled second reader, starting at verse number 44, there's a Roman centurion. And finally, in the part labeled third reader, starting at verse number 50, there's a member of the Jewish ruling council named Joseph. And these three men are all prime candidates to be outsiders, right? They're prime candidates to be people who are outside of the story of God. If we have been reading through Jesus' life up to this point and we had to pick three kinds of people who would be outside the story and not inside it, we might very well pick these three. A criminal, a Roman, and a Pharisee. Right? But it's these three that Luke brings into the story as Jesus is crucified. And he does it to show that no one is excluded. No one is left out. So first, there was a criminal hanging on the cross next to Jesus as he died. Actually, there were two criminals. There was one on his right and one on his left. Two criminals, two violent, dangerous men who were condemned to a cruel and horrible death. But actually, in the end, they landed themselves in a place of extraordinary privilege, right? I mean, we probably wouldn't choose to trade places with them. Um, But we can admire that both their lives took a wondrous turn at the end. They were crucified next to the Son of God. They participated with front row seats and first-hand experience in the event that would save the world forever. And their lives, or at least their deaths, would be recorded as part of the story that would be retold until the end of the world we're still talking about them 2,000 years later. And that's a huge privilege, sort of. Um, Although we wouldn't expect them to recognize it at the time. But the amazing thing is that one of them did. So the first criminal demanded Jesus to save yourself and us. But the second said this, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Pause. Did he really just say that he was under the same sentence as god read it again yes he did say that do you not fear god since you are under the same sentence of condemnation what does he say next he says and we indeed justly for we are receiving the due rewards for our deeds but this man has done nothing wrong. Can you imagine how guilty you have to feel if you think that being crucified is a just punishment for what you did? That's what he says. We are receiving the just reward for our deeds. But this criminal who had plunged deeply into the murky depths of guilt recognized when he was looking at true innocence. And this is what he said to Jesus. Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. That's a plea for mercy. He sees that Jesus is the king and he appeals to him for clemency. Based on what? Based on what? On what grounds can this man ask the king for mercy? What offering does he bring? A flawless life? Hardly. A promise, then, to do better. What, in his last six hours? (laughs) Some sort of gift or sacrifice that he can offer the king? He's a man who doesn't even own a loincloth. What about a song of praise, then? He can hardly breathe, let alone sing. This man has nothing. Actually, nothing. Nothing to offer God as part of his plea for mercy. He has nothing but himself, his guilty, naked, soon to be exterminated self. But that was all that Jesus wanted. It's all that he ever wants. Just the man to be with him, redeemed, restored, and happy. So Jesus looked at the second criminal and he granted him mercy. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So think about it. You can't be guiltier than that criminal on the cross. You can't. You can't be poorer than him. You can't be weaker than him. You can't be more forlorn than him. And you can't be closer to death than he was. So if you feel too weak, or embarrassed, or guilty, or ashamed to take a step forward toward God, then look at that criminal on the cross and be challenged. If he can do it, so can you. Lift up whatever voice you still have and ask Jesus to remember you, because surely, surely, you won't be turned away. Surely, paradise will be yours, too. So here in the story of the cross is balm for any ragged conscience and goodness for every hungry soul. Your story is being told here. Come and listen. Second, there was a centurion watching the way Jesus died. Now he was most likely part of the team of soldiers that physically nailed Jesus to the cross. So he and his team showed contempt for Jesus' person and his humanity. They wrenched his arms out of their sockets. They pierced his skin and his nerves and his tendons and his bones, and they spilled his blood. The centurion was a rough and ruthless man who'd watched many criminals die in agony. But something about this one, this one amazed him. This one was different. The way Jesus died left the centurion saying, surely this man was innocent. And even more amazingly, Luke records that that centurion started praising God. Did you see that? He praised God. He praised the God that the Romans didn't even believe in. Not because of anything he heard Jesus say, but because of the way he saw Jesus die. How astonishing is that? A stranger, a foreigner, a pagan idolater, a hardened executioner, discovered the living God who made him by watching the bloody death of a Jew that he just crucified. That was his heavenly rainbow moment. Well, it is a humanity-uniting moment. There's nothing exclusive about the Christian faith. There's no secret knowledge. There's no special experience you need. There's not even any great leap of faith. Just watch this man die and realize he's dying innocently for your sake. So are you on the outside of faith? Because this religion thing still feels a bit foreign, like something from another culture with traditions and language you don't understand. Well, the cross of Jesus is the place where it stops being foreign. Where all culture is erased by the overwhelming humanity of Jesus' death. It's a common humanity that you share with your creator. So the death of Jesus belongs to no one because it belongs to everyone. Here in the story of the cross is truth for every hungry mind. Your story is being told here. Come and listen. Finally, a Pharisee named Joseph took the body down. And Joseph, Luke tells us, was a member of the Council of Jewish Elders, the same council who just condemned Jesus to death in the first place. Actually, that council hounded Jesus to death. They kept the case on life support long after it was terminal, long after the verdict of innocent had been delivered twice. And then they shouted Pilate down until he caved in and had Jesus crucified. That council hounded Jesus to death. And until now, Luke has made it seem that the council acted in one accord, that they all wanted Jesus dead unanimously. But here we find out that there was at least one dissenting voice. Joseph was a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And Joseph went to Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus so that he could give him a proper burial in Joseph's own tomb. So the criminal on the cross came to Jesus humbly with nothing in his hands. The centurion came forward to God boldly, stepping in from the outside, but Joseph came forward bravely because he, of all of them, had the most to lose. His place of prominence on the Jewish council would be in severe jeopardy if he showed any sympathy for the man his colleagues had just (coughs) condemned. So Joseph's involvement in the story was costly because the stakes were high. And maybe that's the sticking point for you. You're reluctant to step forward toward God because stepping forward is costly. It's costly because of what you have to lose. Maybe your family follows another religion, like Islam or Judaism, and if you show sympathy to Jesus, you'll lose their love forever. Maybe your profession scorns Christianity, like certain parts of academia or science or the media, and holding a Christian opinion would be suicide for your career. Or maybe you'd risk losing the respect of your social circles your closest friends, or your online community, who's united around another love and finds Jesus unnecessary and intrusive. And if that's you, I expect that you do indeed have a lot to lose by stepping forward, just like Joseph did. And I'm not gonna tell you that you won't lose those things that are precious to you, because you probably will. I don't expect the council was kind to Joseph after he buried Jesus. But nevertheless, Joseph did what was right. He didn't just hold his dissenting opinion privately. He acted on it publicly. He nailed his colors to the mast in front of Pilate and the rest of the council. And that's why Luke calls him a good and righteous man. His name is written into the story. People in every country in the world today know the name of Joseph of Arimathea, who gave Jesus his own tomb, And fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy that Jesus would be buried with the rich in his death. Joseph's righteousness is beautiful. His heart responded in love to the beauty of what Jesus had done for him. And here in the story of the cross is beauty for every hungry heart. So before Jesus went to the cross, the criminal, the centurion, and the Pharisee were all outsiders to the story of God. But it was at the cross of Jesus that outsiders came in. The cross erased the category of outsiders altogether. No one is excluded from this story. We can only exclude ourselves. We hold back because we're afraid or ashamed or weak or our hearts are hard or it feels too foreign or we have too much to lose. But we're only excluding ourselves the invitation to draw near to God is wide open. And Jesus has proven that none of those reasons exclude us from God, from his point of view. So I invite you, whoever you are, and wherever you are with Jesus, to live the story of the cross this week, to live into the holiness of Holy Week. Don't just let it hurt or by like any normal week. Read the story in your homes, act it out with your children, Remember the Last Supper at your dinner tables. Wash each other's feet. Join this church in our communal fast on Good Friday. Come to our Good Friday service at noon. We live in the south and you can probably get permission to get an extended lunch break on Good Friday. (laughs) And make big plans to party on Sunday with your favourite people and your favourite food. And while you live it this week, keep your eyes on Jesus, on the way he lived the last week of his life, and the way he died. And see if you don't see something that makes you marvel. Amen.